for this. Thank you, Melissa. That was awesome. <laughs> I do, whoops. I do have to add my end of that whole story about how we got connected. So I didn't respond right away to the invitation because I had been in Moncton at the spa with a friend. <laughs> so I got home that night and I checked my messages and I was like, oh, I don't know this person. So I read it and I'm, I'm like, she wants me to speak somewhere in two and a half weeks. That's not happening. <laughs> I'm serious. That's exactly what I said. I said, thanks, but no thanks. I turned my phone off and I went to bed. So I got up the next morning and I thought, oh, I read that message fast. I should read it again, right? So I picked my phone up and I read it again. I was like, That's, that is not enough time. Like I speak sometimes, but I don't speak a lot. And when I do, I like months notice, months, so that all my ducks are in a row. And my ducks were not in a row. So anyways, I very clearly heard the Holy Spirit in Halifax say to me, don't you think you should ask me before you say no? And when I did, he said, yes, you're supposed to do that. So um, it is our honor and our privilege to be here to share with you and our prayer is that through the difficult circumstances in our lives that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you and breathe hope into you and he is here he is here and he wants to do something amazing in your life so we are Russ and Yana Conway and we have been in Halifax for 23 years we came out from BC um, we have four adult sons and two daughters in love that we love very much. And we also have um, a grandbaby on the way. Our very first grandbaby, yes. That I know is, we don't look old enough to be grandpa and grandma, but we yeah. are going to be in just no, about no, a no, month. No, 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 no. no I'm going to be right. Nana. Right. I'm going to be Nana. Yes. Nana. And apparently you're going to be Poppy, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, Nana and Poppy. So anyways, and I will just fill you in. It's a girl. <laughs> so we're pretty excited about that. And she's actually, well, I'll show you a picture, but it's pretty soon. How many of you like to read here today? Anybody? A few readers, even though we're in the new millennium? Um, who, who likes mysteries? Yeah, okay. How about relationship stories? I mean, that's probably a, oh, a surprise. There's a popular TV show out right now. It's called This Is Us. How many of you know this story? How many of you spend your nights in front of that crying? Guess what? So do I. <laughs> and I just want you to know it's not a big deal for me to be here because I have five sisters. I'm bilingual. I speak girl. So <laughs> it's no problem. I grew up and my time in the bathroom was bras and panties hanging everywhere. I had five sisters. Everything was about a girl's world. My sisters were tough, mean girls. That is a true statement. So I'm good with being here, and uh, I'm good with joining Yana. But whether you like to read or not, what we want to remind you is that everyone has a story. Amazingly, all of us, you and I, Yana, everybody here, are part of a story that is so much greater than ourselves. And the thankful part of it is that we've been written into history, which I like to call his story, the story of Jesus, who came and redeemed us. And so in this room today, there's all kinds of stories. And some are mysteries, perhaps some are adventures, some may be brand new uh, life journeys, new beginnings. There could be pain in the stories that are here today, loss healing, hope, frustration. But this morning, we're honored to share a chapter in our story with you. See, sometimes we think the parts of our story are the whole thing, but they're not. So we are here to share a chapter, and the chapter that we're going to share with you is tear-stained, and the chapter that we've chosen to share, have been asked to share, is we know midway through. It's not over yet. A year ago, we felt like it was the final chapter. There was no more hope of adventure. We both love adventure. There was no drive for newness. It really felt like a huge period 
had blotted the page and we were shutting the book and saying, you know what? We don't care how good you are, we're done. We're going to be very real with you today. We want you to know that although we've spent 20 years pastoring, we're really real. So don't be offended by the rawness of our story. It's where we've been. The tear stains on the page are from deep sorrow that we had never experienced in our life before. Horrific anger, suffocating guilt, and incredible frustration. But then the story begins to change, and a new thread gets woven into the next paragraph. You flipped that, and I lost my place. Oh, sorry. We're good. We edit as we go. Yeah. Another storyline gets weaved in the pain, and you know what? We call it a thrill of hope. Reminds me of the song, A Thrill of Hope, The Weary World Rejoices, because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Mm. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. That's not just a Christmas carol. That's the story of all of our lives. And we are here this morning to remind a group of ladies in Moncton of a very important truth. A truth that we are only allowing to, well, we'll say we have begun to allow to settle into our hearts, and as a result, a new paragraph has begun. We've begun to realize that no matter how painful, hard, mm. frustrating, shameful, whatever adjective you want to put on your story, this is what we'll talk about today. Your story isn't over. Don't put a period where God has put a semicolon. And maybe you've heard a message before, don't put a period where God puts a comma, but let me tell you why we've chosen the semicolon, because in literature, those of you that may be teachers, there's a character called the semicolon, and it's most commonly used to link in one sentence two separate thoughts. And when a semicolon is used, it takes two separate ideas and joins them together in equal rank in one sentence. So your pain is not independent of your future. Tracy shared that this morning. God never wastes a pain. He always will use your painful sentences to bring the thrill of hope needed to someone else's story. It's good. So we're just going to, we're going to introduce you to our family in a minute, but I want to just take a minute to pray as we launch into our story this morning. So Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are working, that you are weaving, that you are setting up. This is a Holy Spirit set up. So, Father, Mm. I pray that you would move in the hearts of these ladies. Thank Mm. you for every word that's going to come forth. God, we just surrender to you, and we ask that you would speak through us. Father, you know every woman, you know every circumstance, and we thank Mm. you that you are truly the answer to each one of those. We love you this morning, Mm. and we want to give you praise and glory in Mm. Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 So um, I want to bring up a couple pictures here. The first one is a picture of our second son. This is Morgan and his wife, Anna Lee, and they live in Florida. And the next picture is our son, Tristan, and that's his nephew, his dog nephew, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Tristan is our third son who we adopted when he was three. And our next son is Spencer, the proud owners of Charlie. This is, and this is Sarah, our daughter in love. So, and then our last picture that we have for you is a picture. I think picture. I missed the one of Anna Lee somewhere. Oh, well. Is there one of the, of the girl that's... Maybe it's after this one. Maybe not. This is our oldest son, Garrett, who we're going to talk to you about this morning. And is there one more picture? I think... It's just this one. This is a picture of our family. And this picture was taken uh, Christmas of 2017. Yeah, New Year's 2017. That Christmas was um, an amazing gift from God. You're going to take us through that part. Right, I am. Okay. So this, this Christmas photo, our sons had not been together for five years. So there was a lot of in- anticipation for this Uh, Christmas photo shoot. It was on on New Year's. And so um, at that time, we did not realize um, what an incredible moment we were experiencing. We just knew that there was great anticipation, joy, and hope for an incredible Christmas, which we got. 
we had about one week together where we had all of the kids together, and it was literally a Christmas that we will never, ever forget. What we didn't know is that less than three months later, in March, we would all be back together again as a family to say goodbye to Garrett. Because on March the 6th of 2018, our oldest son, Garrett, attempted to take his life, and three days later, on March the 9th, we were at his bed as he was removed from life support. Uh, March 9th is etched here in our minds as a day that we will never forget and a day we prayed we would never experience, but we did. And it's a day that we say suicide hit our home. And the reason we say this is because of the opportunities that God has opened up to us now. Um, church, we are the hope of the world. The Bible says clearly that God chose the church to be the hope of the world. So we can't hide behind the issues in the world today. We have to be right out there in the front helping to address the issues of mental health and wellness. So we say that March the 9th was the day that suicide hit our home, and we're just honored today to walk you through that story. So it's really important to me as Garrett's mom for you to know a little bit about him and who he is. Um, we do like to say that Garrett is still, how many of you know there's a semicolon, and he is in eternity. So Garrett was um, a tough cookie. He, was a he had a resilient character. He probably still is in heaven. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, he was an incredibly hard worker. From the time he was a little boy, he was not afraid of hard work. He was very compassionate towards people. He was bold. He was so bold and full of courage. And he was an amazing songwriter. And, oh, one of my favorite things about Garrett is how much he loved the Word of God. He loved the Bible. His favorite book was Romans, and one time he decided he was going to memorize the whole book. I don't know if he did it. I think he came pretty close. Um, and he loved the Apostle Paul. So we, we talk often that, you know, maybe Garrett's chatting with the Apostle Paul today. Um, but he was one of his favorites. For those of us that grew up in the church, it may be at this point that you're trying to reconcile. So how does somebody who loves the Apostle Paul and somebody who loves the book of Romans and somebody who loves God end up taking their life? I'm just here to tell you that you can love God with all your heart and still struggle in a really, really deep way. And part of what we're going to talk to you about is if you don't bring that struggle into the light and invite other people into your journey, the end can be tragic. Garrett graduated the top of his class at a leadership university in Southern California. And I remember the phone call from the pastor there. He said, hey, Russ, if I, I've been doing this for 17 years, and this is no lie. If I had to pick three men or women through 17 years as my top three, your son would rank in the top three. He's going to plant a church that's going to change Canada. And we always knew he would be capable of that kind of thing. But during the last part of his, his year was his internship year. And um, he came home at Christmas. He actually came early because we had gotten the sense that there was a depression uh, that had settled in. And so he came home and the young guy we picked up at the airport, we didn't recognize. Yes, facially and features, but there was a heavy on him that we didn't understand. He would stay with us for the holidays. That would be uh, Christmas 2013. And when he was to go back in 2014, the doctor was, you can't send him back. He, he needs to stay home. So this would define a four-year journey that we would call this chapter of our life. And it was at that time, that Christmas, um, the Lord speaks to me in dreams a lot. And in that season, I woke up in the middle of the night. Um, it was as clear as an audible voice that I have ever heard. And in my dream, I dreamed of a terrible, terrible storm. It was the worst storm, the worst stormy seas that you could imagine. And in this storm, I saw in the trough of one of the waves a little basket that, and there was a baby in that basket, just like we would imagine Moses being in a basket. And I heard so clearly the Lord speak to me, and, and he said, you are about to enter a serious storm, but if you will trust me, you will come through as safe as the baby in that basket. We would reference that dream over and over. I remember one of the first weekends that we ended up in the hospital, and um, this, was, this was not one of those things that was 
while the act in March was a shock, we had been through several attempts. So to go to the hospital wasn't uncommon. And one night I, but it was the first night I looked at Jan and I said, what are you thinking, love? And she says, I'm thinking that the storm has begun. And so I just said, yes, so then let's remember God will see us through the storm. We would reference that over and over. So from the new year of 2014 to Christmas of 2017, we would call it our journey of ups and downs. Um, I was getting used to a new role as a lead pastor. Now that was f a few years prior, but our battle started there with depression, uh, then anxiety was added. And then there, to just briefly take you through to understand, Garrett began to self-medicate with cocaine and that led into a huge addiction which had him at Teen Challenge. He was in and out of Teen Challenge a few times and um, throughout that time there were more than one attempt. Um, it was Christmas of 2017 that he had called us and in our journey we were trying our best to be parents that didn't enable, you know, to, to not, you know, they teach you that at Teen Challenge and so he called it. Please don't be mad at me. Please don't be mad at me, but I am so done with this. And we said, okay, stop. First of all, you're 24, I think at the time, 23, whatever, when you're 24. 24. You're a young man and it's time for you to decide if you're finished at Teen Challenge, we support you, but we need to move through, you know, what that looks like. And that's where we were um, in those months leading up to it. And we had actually made some decisions ourselves um, to not enable, to, to be parents that loved, but loved firmly. And to try to, you know, the line of walking that with the grace, too, of God. You can't just go heavy one side. It's a really, really fine line. And uh, through that time, we decided to go on a journey to partner with him to become an independent liver. In other words, to be able to move out from home and be responsible for his own choices. And so that's where we were. So it was leading up to uh, that Christmas, actually, um, the Christmas that we were super excited for, that um, I knew that I was going to speaking, be speaking at our women's Christmas breakfast. And so I began to pray, Lord, what is it that you want me to say? And you know how, you know, like you keep seeing the same word or just this phrase keeps coming up and you read your Bible or you, you read a devotional or you're out shopping. It's like, man, this will not leave me. And the theme was hope. Mm. The theme was hope. And I, I do have to say, I was so excited to listen to Tracy this morning because she talked about hope. And um, that has been the theme of our life and it's still ongoing. So I would go to the mall and I would see the word hope and I would pick up my Bible and every verse that was about hope was popping out at me. So I knew Lord, you're saying we're going to speak about hope, but mm. I felt, oh, I don't really, I'm in a season in my life where I really don't feel like I have a lot of hope, but I knew that God was saying, that's what you're to speak in. So as I began to study, you know, the word hope, sometimes we, we think of it as, you know, wishful thinking or, you know, I hope you have a good day or hope everything thing turns out all right, but there is a deeper meaning to hope. And the Lord began to show me, hope is certain with me. Hope is Jesus. Hope is our anchor. Um, I think I have um, Hebrews 6.19 as one of our scriptures there. I'll read it to you. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever. And Pastor Gail talked about that last night, that Jesus has gone before us. And um, Jesus is our hope, and he is our anchor. And we because of him, because he did go before us, and he did go through the veil, we have a hope that he is secured there. And my question to you is, are you connected with him? Are you connected to Jesus? You know, you can have the largest, heaviest anchor sitting in the depths of the sea. But if a boat is not attached to it, it isn't helpful. An anchor must be attached to something for it to be effective. So this is basically what I left our ladies with. We have to be attached to the anchor. We have to be attached to Jesus, knowing that he is our hope. When something is certain... It's certain, it's solid, it's steadfast, it's not moving. And as we ended 
that breakfast that morning, I played a video that I want to play for you this morning just to give you another window into Garrett and who he was, is. That's okay. Okay, we'll try one more time, and if it doesn't work, we'll move on. That's okay. That's okay. You if can you want to see it, you can come find me after, and I'll play it to you from my phone. Or you can find it, you know, uh, Yeah, you it's find on, it on Facebook. Facebook. Creep us on Facebook. It's on there. <laughs> Join your leader and creep us on Facebook, and exactly. it'll be okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, that song, it basically says, I want to be a man after your own heart. Um, I want to be a man after your own heart. So that was a launching for us into a Christmas that we were so excited about. You know what? This is, this is the time. This is when it's going to happen. Right. Hope had an exclamation mark. Right. And so at the end of that year, I was gifted by our leadership, our board, with a sabbatical. I was in the shower. I, I, will, I was getting stressed. We're four years in, and this journey has taken a toll on me. And I was in the shower one day, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, it's time for you to look after you, it's time for a sabbatical. Now, my number one, if you know Clifton Strengths, is Achiever, and Achievers don't stop. They just keep on going. They're the Energizer Bunny. And I said, okay, Lord, I get that, but you know me, I'm not the one to ask for that. So if that's you, you're going to have to put it on the heart of a leader, and they're basically going to have to send me on that. And three days later, um, I was asked, what would I think about a, a sabbatical and the, you know a three-month sabbatical, 100% removed from the church, not at church, not attending church, and uh, after a brief wave of insecurity, why? <laughs> Funny how the Lord speaks to you and then you know does it, and you're like, why? Um, I was like, yes, that'll be great, and we embraced that season. And as part of that sabbatical, I was given three months, and the church had planned, well, given us a budget, and said, we want you and Yana to go away somewhere where you can just feed your souls for a while. So we had pushed all of that through towards the end of March because I was supposed to be back to work in April. And we wanted to make sure that Garrett was well on his way to being independent. And uh, so we're off and we, we leave March the 5th. And I think it's important for you to, I know it's not in our notes, but to discuss that when we got on the plane, um, what you said to me. So again, the night before we left, I had another dream. Um, and in my dream, I was carrying Garrett as a man. I was walking along the beach, and I remember feeling the weight and the heaviness of me carrying this large son. He was a man. And I remember thinking, if I could just find a place to lay him down, I just need to lay him down. I'm so hot. I'm so it's, he's so heavy. And I saw off to the side a large rock wall. It was a large, thick, steady, secure wall. And I was able to get to that wall in my dream and lay him on the wall. And when I woke up, well, on the plane, actually, as we were leaving, because I, I, was, I didn't want to leave because I was unsure. Um, I, but I said to Russell, this is the dream I had. And we knew that God was saying, you need to lay him down. You need to trust me with him. Um, and so we prayed together before we took off. A part of where we had been, because I'm asking, Lord, why wasn't I carrying Garrett? Where was I? But about a year before, God had started to really deal with my heart. What if one of these times this goes through? Will you continue? And I wrestled with that. What I mean is, what if one of these attempts, you lose him? And I wrestled, and I'm like, Lord, that does not line up with who you are. It doesn't line up with your goodness and what we're believing for. My old Pentecostal theology and faith walk is coming in here. We're just going to stand on that. That's a word of death, and that's not speaking life. But through it, I had the Lord just saying, Russ, I'm asking you, 
if this doesn't go the way you think, will you still serve me? So about a year before I had told Yana, this could happen and I'm going to still serve the Lord. So that was a little unspoken agitation between us. A couple weeks later, my youngest son, who's now the youth pastor at the church, came and said, Dad, I just want you to know I was talking to the Lord today. And he said, if, if Garrett succeeds one of these times, will I still serve him? I said, what did you say? He said, I told him, yeah, I will. I said, okay, buddy, I just had the same conversation. So on this day, when Yana was really struggling with us leaving town, I looked at her and I said, do you know, I remember us sitting there, I said, what is God saying to you? And she kind of looked out the window. She goes, duh, I know. <laughs> I took her hand and I, I said, look at me, let's do this together. You need to lay Garrett down. We need to go on this trip and we need to be okay. What we didn't know is that just over 48 hours later, we would get a phone call. So obviously we got that phone call. We were in Phoenix when we got the phone call and we made plans to come back very quickly. And as you can well imagine, especially any of you who are mothers here, um, all I wanted to do was be at Garrett's side. I wanted to, you know, it, the, the flight home was horrible. I couldn't sleep. Of course, everyone who saw me knew something horrible was wrong because I couldn't stop crying. And um, anyways, you can imagine that. So on the plane, there was <laughs> this sweet lady from Newfoundland was sitting beside me and she kept offering me crackers. <laughs> Peanut butter crackers, Peanut butter sweetie. crackers. And I'm like, I'm not hungry. I'm not hu Finally, I ate like two crackers just to make her happy. But as all of that was going on in my heart, and only the Lord knew this. I didn't say anything to my husband. It was just, I, I wanted to, I, I knew Garrett was in a hospital bed, and I wanted to be able to get in beside him as his mother and wrap my arms around him and hold him and speak life to him and have faith and believe that God would restore him. And I did. I, I did believe that. Um, and when we came home, the first night that I was in the hospital, Russell had gone home with the other boys, and I was standing beside the bed, and this sweet nurse came up beside me, and she said to me, would you like to get in bed with your son, and just to be able to wrap your arms around him? And God showed to me in that moment how close he truly is to the brokenhearted. And that is only the beginning of many, many moments that I have had as a mother where God has met me in such a deep personal way. And I want to say to you here that the word of God in Psalm 34, 18 tells us that God is very close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And if you are here this morning and you are going through a difficult circumstance, I want you to know that he knows exactly what you need. And he is very, very close to you. When you think that your story's over, God's there. Not only is he there, he knows you. He knows what resonates with you. Yana wanted to climb into bed with him. Garrett was a 24-year-old, muscle-built young man. I wasn't exactly prepared to climb into bed with him. But I was thanking the Lord inside. I'm the kind that needs to know details. I, I, I plan things. And so um, I needed the, the pastor that found him to take me. Where did you find him? Where was he? I need to settle this in my mind. And one of the things I kept asking the Lord through the whole journey and was a little disappointed that he hadn't answered was I want to know what was happening just before they got to the hospital, did he meet you, Lord? Did he, what, and, and saying to the Lord, um, you know, I'm so thankful he was breathing. I'm so thankful because what we learned is they, he was on life support because he was breathing when he got there. But if he wasn't, they would have just, we'd have been identifying a body. And I kept saying that. And the first time we shared, it was about six weeks ago at a Wesleyan church. And it was shaped very similar to this in Halifax. That uh, There was a gentleman right about over here. And as we're talking, I just noticed he's sobbing openly, not loudly. But I'm like, wow, that's interesting that a man is so openly touched by this part of the story. And after the service, he walks over and he's talking to Yana. I had other people. And so then Yana called me over and he goes, I want you to to know that I was the paramedic that was with Garrett as he went to the hospital and he goes he wasn't breathing Russ he wasn't breathing and he goes a nurse accompanied us because of it and the Holy Spirit 
spoke in my, my heart. And he goes, you have to see, I literally had his hand in my arm with, you know, on the TV, you see those bath, those things they squeeze. And he goes, I'm squeezing the Holy Spirit says, you need to pray now harder than you've ever prayed before. And he goes, there was no words exchanged between me and the nurse, but I know what she knew. And I just began to pray. And I'm pushing that oxygen bag and I'm praying and is for us it's Magazine Hill anyone from Halifax would know what I mean is we're a cresting Magazine Hill his body lets out a jerk and all of a sudden he takes this gasp of air and he said he breathed the whole way to the hospital until they could put him on life support I sobbed right there in the front I just started sobbing and I said could we just pray and thank God for you because when you think God's not there. We're in Phoenix trying to get home and God has an, a, a, a paramedic who knows him telling him it's time to pray. It's time to pray because his dad's going to want to not identify a body. That's what I believe because God knows us intimately. So that was an amazing way that God spoke to Russell and was um, just so near to him. Um, this, is, this is this time when, when I would go back to the dream that I had about the storm and, you know, we're, I always thought that, you know, the dream was about Garrett because we had been through this horrible stormy season and I'm like, Lord, you told me that everything was going to be okay. That was your promise to me. You said, if I trusted you, that when I got to the end of it, that everything was going to be okay. This is not okay. This is not okay at all. And, you know, that's when, for me, even though I know and I believe, there's a question mark that comes. There's a question mark that says, I don't understand. I don't understand, God. I know that you're faithful. I know that you're an answer, that you keep your promises. But this is not looking with my own eyes. This is not looking like an answered promise. I need you to help me. Now, how many of you have ever, most of you may have been in an airplane, and this is an example that God gave me years ago and he brought back to me. You know, when you're in an airplane and you're in an elevated, you know, you're in an elevated space and you look out that window, that tiny little window, and you look down and the houses and the trees and the roads and the land masses and the lakes, they're all so tiny. It's like a miniature toy scenario. Well, as I was in a plane one time and I looked out the window, there was such an awe of God that came over me, this realization that God, you are so mm. amazing and big and majestic and I know that there's no one like you and yet you love me like in that height you can't even see people and when we're up in that elevated space that's nothing even compared to the amazingness of our God and yet he cares for us Psalm 8 3 to 4 says whenever I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And Isaiah 55, 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high as the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His understanding is beyond measure. So this changes our perspective. You know, here on earth, I wear contact lenses because my vision, without them, you'd all be fuzzy people. I need assistance to see properly. And we need his assistance to have his vision to see things clearly. And this is where trust comes in. I don't understand. But what I know, that I know that I know, is that you, Lord, see farther than I do. Mm. I see a bend in the road, but I don't know what's up ahead. But because you're higher, because you're higher, you know. And therefore, when I don't understand, I can still trust you. When your story has an unexpected plot change. We believed in Christmas 2017, this is the 
way up. This is going to end with an awesome exclamation. God is going to be exalted. Garrett's going to tell his testimony all around the world. We're going to, this is going to be where it is. And now we are saying goodbye. And I will speak from the, where I was. A really deep frustration overtook me. I will say I didn't charge the Lord, but I asked a lot of questions. How many of you know God knows us? It's okay. And, and I, I said, yeah, Lord, what a nice bonus for 23 years of ministry. Thanks. All the things I missed for my family. I, I, this is feeling sorry for yourself, so I get it, okay? But just indulge me for a sec. And I did this, like, oh, so good. I mean, I, try, I reminded myself of that you, if I look after your family, you look after mine. If I look after the needs of your house, you look after mine, and this is what I have. And all that I would hear in those moments was the, what I now call the voice of my shepherd, just saying, shh, Russ, shh. It's not the way it was. I'm, I'm there. I've been there. You'll see different. So here we are. Our story has a total unexpected plot change. Maybe yours has. What do you do? What do you do now? Most of us, to be honest, we laid in our bed when we'd read notes. Oh, we know God will get you through. And a couple times we threw our phone out. We actually don't want God to get us through. You go through these horrific emotions when you lose loss like that. We talked, people would talk to us about healing. And I remember one night, y'all saying, I don't want to be healed. It almost feels like healing is losing your loyalty and you'll forget. And so we, this is part of the journey. You just go through it. What do you do when there's an unexpected, unexpected plot change? You lean into the plot. You don't change the author's hand. You don't. That's what we did. We just leaned into it and we started to choose. When the plot of your story changes unexpectedly, now it's time to choose. Choose what? You may ask, well, I want to just applaud, I don't know who picked out the worship songs today, but I will tell you that at least three of them were songs that we chose through the last year. One specifically, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief and my disappointment and my frustration and my it's not fair, I'm going to say hallelujah. We chose, I want to tell you today, the power of worship is not just singing a song before the message. It's proclaiming the powerful word of God in a way that ministers to your soul. One of the songs that came to me was, many of you may know Corey Asbury. That was one of Garrett's favorite guys. And he sings this song that for me, uh, the Lord just used when I wasn't understanding. Because I knew the Lord brought to me Job 1. It says Job has lost all seven children, all the houses, all the lands, everything. And it says in that last verse that Job tore his robe, which would have been an, a, a heap, very customary that you do when you weep, fell to the ground in worship saying the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the Lord's name be blessed this day. And it says, and he did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Some days I had to bite my tongue till it bled because I felt God had done me wrong, but I wasn't going to charge him. So instead, I, I worshiped. And the one song that I worshiped to consistently for me, Yana had one that she was with, was Corey Asbury's Your Love is Strong. And it, I don't know if you've heard this song. Stronger than the chords of fear and unbelief. Fierce enough to wreck all of that because your love is strong. And it just keeps going over and over. Oh, your love is strong. Another one was when you pass through, it's the one about passing through, and I can't remember about the fear. I will not fear Melissa and all those guys saying it. Anyways, um, as we would do that, the, the unbelief would lift off of us. I want to challenge you. If your story has taken an unexpected turn, go somewhere where you can belt it out. And even if you belt it out while you cry, it may be in the, in the silence of your car. It may be out along a path somewhere. Just start to proclaim in worship the goodness of God. And some, at some point, your heart will catch up. It catches up. Sometimes you don't even believe what you're saying, but it catches up. So we chose worship.
Um, actually, it reminded me I was just what Melissa that. had said this morning, that there, we do go through seasons where it's literally like, ah, I can't sing. Like, I... And I had some, I've had some times like that in the past 12 months. We actually just passed the anniversary um, of Garrett passing away. Um, but I put the worship music on anyway, right. and I wept like a baby. So I literally, and I, if I'm honest, and the Lord knew this, the first couple of weeks after Garrett passed, I think it's because the grief and the sorrow that I experienced was so intense and um, every time I would start to pray, it, w it was so overwhelming that I could barely breathe. And so the first couple of weeks, I couldn't, I couldn't even pray. Mm. I, I would almost more like pray in, in my mind because I couldn't get the words out. I was so devastated. I was shattered. I was completely broken, literally. You know, as moms, I think we often think, man, the worst thing I could ever experience in my life would be to lose one of my children. And I, I had thought that before, too. And it, it was heartbreaking. And about four months after Garrett passed away, um, I went away to a cottage with a couple of friends, and I forgot my Bible. Terrible pastor's wife. Uh, and I got up in the morning, and everybody was trying to, um, we were going to go f have a quiet time. And so this, this girl, I said, do you have a Bible I can borrow? And she said, yeah, here's one. And it was a devotional Bible. And this morning when I woke up, you know, there's something about getting away. There's something about the quietness, uh, um, you know, of being at a cabin and the water's there. It's like, oh, Lord, oh, the distractions are gone. I can hear you. And in that moment, I just, the brokenness that I felt was, was so strong. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. I was crying. And I was saying, Lord, like, I, I just feel so broken. I, I don't know how you're ever going to put me back together again. And I picked up this Bible and went to where I was in my Bible reading. And there was a devotional staring at me. And it was called Shattered Glass. Again, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. Mm. And also, the verse that was right under it was Psalm 34, 18, about the brokenhearted. But this devotional described the fragments of shattered glass that catch the sunlight and shoot off countless rays of color. This doesn't happen with glass that hasn't been broken. It's something very special that happens because of the brokenness. And I want to say this morning to you that if you are in a place in your life that you feel shattered, maybe you've experienced a betrayal in a relationship, or like Tracy said this morning, a job loss, or maybe you have had miscarriages and you've been hoping to conceive and believe for a child, or your marriage is struggling, and no matter what you try, it just seems like it's not, something is just not happening. I want to say to you, that shattered dreams and splintered hopes, when Jesus steps in, amazing, beautiful things can happen. And the Lord gave me a picture of a kaleidoscope. You know, a kaleidoscope, you look through that scope, but there's a mm. whole bunch of broken pieces at the end of it. Mm -hmm. But there's something very, very beautiful that God does to create beauty out of the brokenness in our lives. When your story has come to a place that you feel like it's over, going back to that original verse in Psalm 34, remember the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We saw, as we've shared with you through a number of experiences, his nearness. But one thing that we chose besides worship, besides we chose we're doing this together, um, we have met a lot of families that have gone through this, and it's amazing the significant amount of couples that's marriages fall apart through the loss of a child. And we, we made a choice and stood in our bedroom early in the deep grieving days and said, let's promise each other that no matter what, we do this together. I knew that Yana was mom and had experiences and senses and feelings I didn't have, so we chose separate therapists, separate counselors. We did that journey individually, but we checked back in and we did it together. Another thing that we did is we chose the grieving process. When your story changes and grief is involved, this is a, a tradition similar to ours, 
you know, our spirit-filled kind of Pentecostal tradition tells us that we're victorious and we choose faith, and, and, and I believe that. I believe God heals, but we've missed something sometimes. Before Israel took control of the promised land, they had to cross through the Red Sea. They had to go through the desert. They had to experience some things that would come up. And so what I want to remind all of you is if your story plot has changed, you find yourself somewhere where it's disappointing, don't try to go around the grief. Go through the grief. Don't try to avoid the pain, lean into the pain. Jan and I have chosen to be very vulnerable in social media because we believe that it's helping other people to face their pain. But one of the things that I want to read to you is just something that happened to me as we pull this into a, a close. See, my grief, um, if I was to compare it, and we knew that we would grieve differently, was not the deep grief of a mom. I actually felt like days I couldn't breathe under the suffocating suffocating chokehold of guilt. I felt so guilty. What if I would have put more time with him than that person at the church, than that, and as a pastor, just everything, the 23 years of ministry, what did I do wrong? And, and in the middle of all that, again, the shepherd is saying, shh, lean into the guilt, lean into all those things, and find the truth. Thank the Lord for wonderful counselors that walked with us. But I want to tell you what I learned, I, I, and I want to encourage this to you, leaving you with a challenge today. Um, there's an author, some of you may know her. Her name is Brene Brown, and she says this, you can't get the courage without vulnerability. Vulnerability is the cornerstone of confidence. She says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage, and truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but... They are never weakness. Now, this part of my message I'm usually bringing to men. But in her book, Daring Greatly, this is what she says. To dare greatly is to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, and to have the hard conversations. The book of James says it like this. Confess your faults one to another and pray for each other. It doesn't say, bring your shortcomings and then have a meeting and judge each other. It doesn't say to, you know, tell everyone where they've gone wrong. Oh, probably that's because you've done this. No, it says confess. Another version says the places where you're struggling, the weaknesses, the anxieties. These are all words. And then it says pray for each other that you may be healed. And this verse that is often taken out of context is what links here. The effective, fervent prayer of righteous men and women makes much power available to them. See, prayer, power in prayer is not apart from authentic, vulnerable living. And so one of the things that we feel that God's calling us to bring to the church is a call out of the shadows into the light. Are you here, ma'am, today and there's something that you're hiding in your soul and you're saying, if anyone knew, I would be shamed. You know what? The enemy's telling you to keep that hidden. Right. Are you suffering through the loss of a broken marriage or a relationship or a friendship or put, the, put in the blank whatever you need to. The enemy will say, keep that to yourself. You're probably the only one. No, no, the Lord says, if you walk in the light as I'm in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses you from all the effects of unrighteousness, which are shame and all of those things. We believe that a big part of the message to anxiety and mental health is walking in the light as he is in the light. It's confessing your shortcomings one to another and then asking someone to pray for you. Now, we don't recommend you to go do this on a Sunday morning in front of the church, but you know who's safe in your circle you know who it's okay to do that. And so we're going to issue you, as we close, a challenge that we want you to start right away. And that is what we call the vulnerability challenge. And it's every day, as you start your day, you say, today, I will show up and I'll be seen. Now there's somebody who needs your voice in their situation. You can't just say, I don't have anything to say. You can say it in the right spirit, but I'll show up, I'll be seen. Number two, I'll ask for what I need. 
Number three, I'll have the hard conversations. Let me add with the right people. And number four, I'll live an authentic life with my, in your case, your sisters together. We believe this is the call that the Lord has on the church today. Let's step out of the shadows where we're hiding our stuff and let's bring them into the wonderful light of his grace. So our, our, our challenge to you today is pretty simple. Maybe our story um, has touched your life in some point and maybe you've put a period at a certain place in your writing. Could we invite you today to let the Lord add his semicolon and you don't have to know where the next step is. Just open up your heart that perhaps it's just not over yet. You might not know where, that's okay. Just that step that says, Lord, my story's not over yet. So all over this place, we're gonna invite you to just stand with us. And this is that moment where it's almost lunchtime. It doesn't have to be drug out, but it has to be authentic. If you're feeling right now, that needs to be me. I put a period, there needs to be a semicolon. All we're gonna do is just invite you to step out from where you are and just come meet us at the front, just, just quickly. It doesn't have to be a, a big, long ordeal. We just wanna agree with you in prayer. If you're one of those, and for those of you that work um, the prayer teams, we wanna invite you to come as well. But if you're on the prayer team and you need to put a semicolon where there's a period, ask one of us if we'll agree with you. So I'm gonna invite the prayer team to just step forward for a moment wherever you are. And as the worship just begins to go where it's gonna go, if you're somebody and says, man, I, I need that, just come on up. Jan and I will come down too, and we'd love to just see what the Holy Spirit does in the next couple of minutes. So we invite you, as you are already here, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place, fill this place, Touch these hearts. Where there's questions, where there's shattered dreams, where there's places where people feel like it's over, remind them it's not over yet.